0: Years of continuous procurement reform for the Defense Department, from tinkering by Congress, has rendered procurement into a sort of laboratory, and each of the armed services is running its own experiments. That's according to my next guest. Susanna Bloom is Senior Fellow and Director of Defense Programs at the Center for a New American Security, and she joins me now. Ms. Bloom, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. So tell us about this thesis that you have developed here that all of the various reforms included in all of the NDAAs going back umpteen years have created a procurement laboratory or petri dish for the Defense Department. (laughs)
1: Petri dish, that's a good one. Our idea here with my co-author Mikhail Grunberg basically was that in the 16 and 17 NDAAs, Congress did two things simultaneously that have resulted in this laboratory or petri dish as you describe it. The first was they expanded existing authorities and gave a bunch of new acquisition authorities, middle tier, etc., At the same time, they devolved a lot of authority that had been resident at the OSD level down to each of the services. And what's happened here is that each of the services has been able to kind of take their own interpretation of these new authorities and apply them differently. And so what we have are kind of three really distinct approaches to this new set of acquisition authorities kind of playing out in real time. And the result is this experiment that we've described in that article.
0: But each of the armed services doing its own thing, according to the given and devolved to them. Isn't that the point, really? Because they're not identical.
1: Certainly. Um, I think that watching this experiment play out, I think there are kind of two different kinds of outcomes, and probably both will occur, right? The first is that we'll identify some areas where each of the services really should be able to pursue different authorities as suits their needs or pursue different approaches to the authorities as suits their needs. But I think that it's also possible that we could learn that there are really some best practices that one or more of the services will discover over the course of the coming years that really should be applied across the board. And I think that the goal of overseers, principally in OSD, but also in Congress and other places, is to identify those areas where a common... Approach actually really would be the best thing for the department and the joint force.
0: Yeah, so at some point there should be a reckoning of all of these different approaches. And before we get to that, give us a quick rundown on the Navy, Air Force, and Army and how they're each approaching the use of their new authorities.
1: Sure. Each of the services, I think, actually are being kind of really true to their history and their institutional culture in the way that they're moving here. You know, the Army is making big bets. It's what the Army's done for a long time. We've got the big six modernization priorities, you know, certainly not the same as the big five, but they definitely rhyme you know, the creation of Futures Command kind of bifurcating the uh, development of new capabilities from the traditional, you know, ASALT acquisition machinery. The Air Force is really focusing on experimentation and going fast. And again, there's kind of a historical rhyming between what Undersecretary Will Roper is doing in his Digital Century series, kind of, again, definitely not repeating, but hearkening back to the very rapid development of many different types of aircraft with the original Century series. The Navy, I think, is the service that most closely resembles a control group. Their approach has been more conservative. Again, this makes sense given the fact that, you know, they buy capital ships, which are in service for decades and decades. A conservative approach makes sense in that kind of acquisition environment. And they're really looking at driving efficiency.
0: But behind all of this, isn't there the realization in their own different ways that the United States' competitive edge ultimately is rapidly eroding? and they need to get back to the kinds of innovations that gave them that edge back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that was the the impetus behind what Congress was doing, particularly Senate Armed Services Committee under the leadership of Chairman McCain. You know, it was, you know, what the Obama administration was doing with the third offset, and the Trump administration has, has kind of carried that forward. The tricky part for all of the services and for the department writ large is that it's very, very difficult to prioritize the future Over the present, right? It's just kind of contrary to human nature. I think we see, you know, particularly in light of recent events with Iran, it's still hard. It's still very, very difficult to uh, accept some more risk in the present in order to to put the resources against those future threats.
0: We're speaking with Susanna Bloom. She's senior fellow and director of defense programs at the Center for a New American Security. And so what could be a possible mechanism for best practices as the armed services do learn lessons in their approaches to the new procurement authorities, given that the point is for them to be able to do their own thing? There's not a great history of them sharing best practices across the departmental level. So how could that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are kind of two different approaches and and the department and the individual services should pursue both of them. The first is that those service acquisition executives need to be talking to each other all the time. Right. Uh, and I actually asked, uh, you know, Will Roper when he was over at CNAS for a fireside chat a few weeks ago, you know, whether that was happening. And he said yes. And I, and I hope it continues to happen. I think that obviously OSD has a really, really critical role to play there in terms of watching what the services are doing, you know, pulling out those areas where individual approaches versus common approaches, you know, makes the most sense. And then reflecting that, for example, in the DOD 5000 rewrite, which is a hot topic this week as well.
0: And actually, I've interviewed extensively Will Roper, and he's a compelling individual and is quite articulate. It seems like he's one of the best types of people to be able to make the case to the Army or to the Navy that maybe you ought to try this. Do you see analog people to him in the Army and the Navy?
1: Uh, You know, I think there are a lot of really excellent acquisition officials in the Department of Defense, Uh, you know, Will Certainly uh, pushes the envelope, um, you know, perhaps more than most, you know, he'll be the first to say, for example, with Digital Century Series, he doesn't know if it's going to work or not, but it's the right time to take a risk. And we know what the shortcomings are of the current approach to, you know, MDAP's major defense acquisition programs. And he's looking at trying to fix those things. And I think that if he's successful, the other services will have to sit up and take notice.
0: And you mentioned the rewrite of the 5000 series. Give us a little more on that, what the import of that could be and how long that could take.
1: Well, the department led by uh, Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment has, as I understand it, already begun work on 5,000. Ha- I haven't seen the the product yet. I don't know that anyone has, but you know, we're expecting something that is more adaptable that provides more flexibility for the services, both you know differentiation between them, but also differentiation between different kinds of acquisition programs within the services. And I think this is a really great opportunity to you know make some changes that are going to allow the department to, you know, not only remain competitive, but to to win into the future.
0: Because undertaking a policy change and rewrite of that depth is almost like going underneath the Empire State Building and trying to redo the foundation stones in some ways. It's a tough job.
1: It's difficult and it's significant, but it's time.
0: Susanna Bloom is Senior Fellow and Director of Defense Programs at the Center for a New American Security. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure, Tom.
0: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Okay, close your eyes and imagine.
1: Well, unless you're driving.
0: Yes, imagine you bought a scratch ticket from the Iowa Lottery.
1: Or someone gave you one.
0: Yes, right, and you scratch and you've won. one big. Yes. In fact, there are 13 holiday games with big cash prizes. And if you don't win, play it again. You can still win up to $100,000 in the
1: VIP club.
0: But you have to enter and see rules and complete details at ialottery.com slash VIP.
1: Yes. Thank you.